90% of what we read in John, you don't find in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. So in a way, John is kind of writing a tell-all book of Jesus behind the scenes that a lot of people don't know of. Like, there's all these stories and nuances that come from intimacy, being close to Jesus, that only John had. And so that's one reason why we are um, reading his biography, or we might use the word gospel account, of the life of Jesus. Um, and so he, we're going to look at a story, um, an account in, in, in Cana that not a lot of people knew about until John tells us it. It's easy to, to think because of how extravagant it is and how wonderful and, and kind of how controversial it might be. He makes a lot of wine out of, out of water, but that wasn't a well-known story. Only the servants knew, even the bridegroom the host, the people didn't know where this came from. So this miracle that we're looking at today was done on the down low. And John brings it to our attention. Another way to look at John's gospel that will help us today is that John is a lot like a painter. He uses very illustrative language to, to teach us about Jesus. He, he writes about Jesus with a paintbrush as much as he writes about Jesus with a pen. So he'll say things like he's the, he's the light He's uh, the, the door. He's the, the Lamb of God. He, he, he paints these portraits or encounters of Jesus. And so one, I think one of the things that we've been saying a lot is that um, John's gospel is a lot like an, a museum. It's a lot like an art exhibition that John is curating to teach us about Jesus. So um, we're going to walk into a new room today in, in the museum. And so what I want to do is ask you to do something weird and different. We're already outside in a tent celebrating All Saints Day. It doesn't get weirder than that, does it? So I want to ask you to close your eyes for about two minutes. And I, I want you to kind of imagine that you're walking into this museum. Okay, we're all together, two churches along the Broadway corridor. We're, we're walking up the steps to the museum and, and the exhibition is Jesus is the Son of God. That's the point of the exhibition. We get in, and we kind of let's just walk past the first room, the prologue. There's five paintings in there. We've looked at those. We get into, let's pass the paintings about John the Baptist and the disciples and him renaming Peter and, and talking to Nathaniel. And then let's get into the third room, which is John chapter 2. Okay, everyone just kind of get in the center of this room. It's a big room. Everyone there? All right. There's two paintings in this room. Everyone look to, to the right in, in your mind's eye. There's this giant painting. That's Jesus cleansing the temple. There's a lot of action going on in that one. That's next week. Go to the left. We're going to look at this portrait of Jesus at a wedding. It is a giant. Look how wide this, this painting is about 25 feet wide. It's huge. It's big enough for all of us to come around and look at. It's really tall. And, and there's two things I just want to point your attention to and then we can open our eyes is, is first, this is not your average wedding portrait. Most portraits of weddings center on the best people in their best clothes, with their best friends, on the best day of their life, with their best smile. That's generally the portraits we see of, of weddings in our albums or in our hallways. And yet the portrait that John has painted for us of a wedding is not centered on the bride and groom at their best. It's centered behind the scenes with the help, with the servants, and things are about to go off the rails. Disaster is about to strike at this wedding, and Jesus is there. 
So just out of the gate, this painting it strikes us as being a very different wedding portrait. Now, the last thing I want to point your attention to, if you look at the title of the painting, at the very, very bottom on the frame, there's a little bitty tag. And just try to squint to see what John has titled this. Let me read it for you. The title of this wonderful portrait is The Joy of the Gospel. You can open your eyes. Thanks for playing along. I was wondering who would play along. We might have to have another confession time after that if you didn't play along. The joy of the gospel. Um, this is a, a wonderful, wonderful story to dig into. And there's honestly about five or six sermons you could preach from this. You could talk about marriage. You could talk about uh, wine. You could talk about how to bring your need to Jesus. You could talk about a lot of things. Uh, I think it's sometimes easy to miss the forest for the trees in this because the point that John is trying to give us is that G- what Jesus offers us is so much different than what the law was pointing us to. And so Jesus takes the symbol of the law, the the water pots for Jewish purification, and he takes that and he transforms it into something so much deeper than just water washing your hands. He transforms it from being merely external to saying, I'm going to do something internal in your life. He takes it from something that was empty and he brings a fullness. He, He takes what was despair and he brings joy. And that's the point of the wedding in Cana. So we're going to look at three things. First, the setting. Second, the sign. And third, the sermon. Any Baptist here? Got the three S's for you. The sign, the setting, the sign, and the sermon. First of all, the setting's pretty striking. Jesus is not up at the head table. He's with the servants. He's with the help. He's with those who are the humble, which is totally his character. I love that about him. Second, he's at a party. Like, how controversial is that? A lot of people have an idea of Jesus that looks a lot more like Greek Greek mythology in that God is this cosmic killjoy who's afraid of you laughing or having a good time. That he's just ready to strike you the moment you, you mess up. And yet, Jesus is not a recluse. He's, he's at a party. He's not really doing anything spiritual or religious. He's just there because he was invited, and he brings his boys, and they're having a good time. That alone is redemptive to many people's view of who God is, is that he meets us in the ordinary of our life. He meets us at the party. He meets you at the birthday. He meets you at the office. He meets you in the car on the way to work. He meets you at the gym. He meets you when you're working out. He meets you when you're laying. He's just, he's always there ready to be with you. And you don't have to go to this special religious place to interact with Jesus because he actually delights in being where you are. He's not a recluse. It's so wonderful about Jesus. He's there and he's there humbly. And then Mary, his mother, um, is aware of something that's going on. Now, what we know about this is that um, the, the family of Jesus were of humble means. They weren't wealthy. They were, Jesus was a carpenter from Nazareth. And generally speaking, um, humble people from Nazareth don't associate with wealthy people from other places. And so uh, for her to be Um, aware that one there's a need and then taking it upon herself to do something about it 
gives you the impression that she knows the family, right? Because when I go to a wedding and I don't really know anybody, I don't know all the drama. There's always drama at weddings, always drama. But usually when I don't know the people, I don't know about the drama. But when I know people, you tend to know about the drama. But Mary was so close to the family, she, one, knows that the party's about to come to a crashing halt, but she feels a responsibility to, to point that out to Jesus. And what I love about that is she doesn't say, Jesus, can you, can you make some wine? It's easy to read that in there because we know the end of the story. All she says is, they're out. She just states it. She just brings the problem to Jesus. Jesus, they're out. What are we going to do? And she's aware of the power of Jesus. And yet, Jesus, there's this tension in this verse there because she's aware of his power and Jesus is aware of his hour, a phrase he will use constantly in John, um, referring to his hour has not yet come to die for the sins of the world. And so there's this tension between mother and son where she says, son, our friends are about to be embarrassed. The, the, the bride and groom, are, like their best day is about to come to a crashing halt. Son, what are we going to do? And he, um, even though he says it's not his hour, he honors his mother's request. He honors the bride and groom. He honors the master of ceremony. He honors all the people that are there. And he uses it as a way to reveal to his disciples that he is who he says he is. He is the son of God. And he's going to do some incredible things to prove that to them. So that's kind of the setting. Let's move on to the sign. John goes out of his way. And don't miss this. This makes many people uncomfortable. He goes out of his way to tell us exactly how much was there. He names that there's six water pots. He tells us they held 20 to 30 gallons each. And he specifically says the servants filled them to the brim. Three times John makes sure numerically we know what's going on. Now, if you take uh, six water pots and if you take the, the, the top end, 30 gallons, um, I'm not great at math, but that's 180 gallons potentially of water filled to the brim, and Jesus turns that into wine. Now, if you convert 180 gallons to liters, you get 682 liters, and if you were to grab the average bottle of wine and bottle up the 682 liters, you get... 908 bottles of top grade wine. <laughs> not a Baptist church. 908 <laughs> bottles. Nine, that's a little much, don't you think? And the party's already been, been roaring. 908. I'm a little uncomfortable with 908. Man, there's this, but that, that's such a picture of what he does for us. It, it's just more than enough. It's just too much, God, too much. And then the quality, the, 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 the people there tasting it said, whoa, 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 this is the best stuff. Usually you start off with um, the best and then when people have had their fill, you bring out the worst, but no, 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 no. This is the best. And this is not... Like Jesus didn't go to Walmart and get a box wine on clearance that says great value on it and then like bring a couple of boxes. He, 908 of the best stuff anyone's ever tasted, right? Now, it's just kind of a, a, the closest thing I've ever experienced to that 
in, um, when I graduated from high school, I went into ministry school, and I had this, um, this choice to what substance am I going to get addicted to to make it through my education? And many people choose coffee. And um, I hadn't grown up yet, and I didn't like the taste of coffee, so I chose Dr. Pepper. So Dr. Pepper was a thing that got me through my early 20s and all my, and all my studying and my learning how to be a pastor. And so, but I was in my early 20s, didn't have a lot of money, so Dr. Pepper was, I mean, when you had one, times were good, right? So there was this family in the church that um, kind of adopted me. My parents had moved away. They kind of stepped in, and they would, you know, take me out to eat and, you know, celebrate my birthday. And so one year on my birthday, they said, well, we want you to come over. And I walk in the house, and in the living room, there's this pile of something and a blanket over it. And they said, pull the blanket off. We got you something. And I'm thinking, what is it? So I go in, and I pull the blanket off, and it's like half a pallet of Dr. Pepper. <laughs> and it took, like, me and some buddies to, like, to move it and consume it. It took a lot of time. My kidneys are still really mad about that day. Um, but they just got me this overwhelming amount of Dr. Pepper. Now, it would have been one thing if it was a pallet of H-E-B Dr. B. <laughs> or worse, Mr. Pibb, which is the unpardonable sin, drinking Mr. Pibb. But no, I mean, straight from Waco, Dublin Dr. Pepper with imperial sugar, a pallet right there. It, that's the closest thing I've had to the wedding of Cana. It's so good. I don't know what that has to do with the sermon, but that's it. So that, that's, the, that's the setting and the sign. And, and, um, and, and, and don't, don't miss this. In the midst of despair. Here's what Jesus said. Let's, let's, let's kind of turn it personally to you and begin, okay, well, what does this mean for me? In the midst of things going bad, here's how we see God function. He enters into the crisis. What, what's your crisis? Just, you don't tell me, but what's your crisis right now? What's going on in your life right now where, you know, like your heart's beating a little bit faster because of this thing? And he enters that crisis humbly. He's with the help. And then he graciously and lavishly provides more than what they could ask, dream, think, imagine, or hope for. That's what he's doing here. And the question for you is, in your life right now, where do you need Jesus to enter in? And where do you need him in his meekness, in his gentleness, in his, 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 his touch? I just love the touch of Jesus. He's just so tender. And what he has for you is not an appetizer that he got at happy hour. Psalms 23 is that in the presence of the enemy, he prepares a table, a feast, a banquet, that he's got more than you could ever think of for you, whatever it is. And will you call Jesus to the party? Will you invite Jesus to whatever the crisis is? Um, maybe you're not even a believer in what, what the Holy Spirit is asking you right now is will you invite Jesus to your life? Will you just open up your life and let Jesus come and transform what's empty into joy? It's a wonderful picture of the gospel and salvation. 
And that's the sermon in action here. The most important verse in chapter 2 here is verse 11, that this, the first sign, is when they beheld his glory. In John 1, I think it's 14, John says, we beheld his glory. We were, he tinted among us and we beheld his glory. This is what he's talking about. It's this type of stuff that John's talking about. Jesus shows up and just blows them away with his generosity, his love, his care for the, for the groom and the bride, for the host, for the people. But more than that, for the disciples, to show them, hey, this is what you're signing up for. And this is different than the law. This is so much different than just washing, your, so much different than coming and trying to clean yourself up. That was just a diagnostic. The point of the law was to be a diagnostic. The point of the law was to tell you that you had a temperature, but it was never meant to be the cure. The water pots are there just to tell you that you're sick, but Jesus is the medicine. And this is the, this is the change in the story of God is, is in the scriptures. We've had diagnostic, 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 test after test after test after test, and then Jesus shows up and he says, I'm the cure, and there's joy. And it is an abundant joy, and it is a generous joy, and I'm gonna lavish this upon you, and it's gonna be 908 it's just too much. So where are you with Jesus this morning? Are you, are you kind of on the outside looking at this thinking, man, these, these people are weird. What are they doing outside in a tent? What's this talk about saints? And why are they marching in? <laughs> My assumption is that not all of us here today have have actually welcomed the wine of the gospel into our lives. And the very fact that you're here, in a tent, outside, in a parking lot, tells me that the Holy Spirit has you kind of in the meshes of the net, and if I were you, I'd quit fighting it. You might as well give up, as C.S. Lewis said. He's calling you in. He's drawing you to the joy of the gospel. And if that's you today, we would be thrilled to, to get to pray for you. Um, after or during and after we celebrate communion, we'll have prayer ministers um, in, probably in the back or around. And, and if that's you today and you're, and you're like, man, I, I want the joy of the gospel. I, I'm tired of the water. I'm tired of washing the hand. I'm, try, I'm, I'm tired of trying to clean myself up. And we would, would you give us the honor to, to be able to pray for you and to welcome the joy of Jesus into your life. And, and then maybe you're here and you're already a believer. I love the line in Come Now Fount. We're prone to wander. And I'm just, I'm just so prone to forget the gospel. I, I'm just prone to forget. My default is to, okay, I've got to do it. I've got to make it happen. And, and no, it's out of my hands. It was from the start. He lifted my head. He set me apart. That's the beauty of the gospel. And, and do you need to be reminded of that this morning? Do you need to come and, and just lay down whatever it is that you're trusting in for your purification instead of trusting in Jesus for the actual purification? And if anything, what a wonderful and appropriate day 
as people who used to be strangers to God, used to be sinners and slaves to sin. And because of this wonderful gospel, we are now sons and daughters and saints in the eyes of God because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. It'd be appropriate to just celebrate that at the table together. Father, thank you for your word for us. Thank you for your love, that you loved the world so much that you gave your only son. And that if we would just believe, if we would kind of put our weight forward and step into that and commit ourselves to you and your kingdom, all the wonderful gift of eternal life and, and freedom from sin and ourself and the ways of this world that you offer to us. Lord, for those here who haven't yet experienced that, God, I just ask right now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would awaken their heart, that you would surround them, convict them, um, share the gospel with them, and just ask, God, that you would just do what we can't do. Save them, God. Right now, in their seat, as they're listening, Lord, we just ask that by your power you would do the work. Lord, for those who have been walking with you, I just ask that you would enlighten the eyes of their heart, that you would increase the joy of being called your son and daughter. We love you so much, Jesus. We, we just say thank you for the good gift of the gospel. Come, Holy Spirit, be with us for the rest of today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.